welcome back. We're live from another episode of Salt Lime Storytime. I'm Jess Nani, and this is my infamous co-host, Allison Hillman. <laughs> I, hi. Um, I love the adjectives you use to describe <laughs> me every time you introduce. It's really nice. I think last time I was like illustrious or something. I try to think of a new one every time, but. No, it's it's good. I, I really appreciate it. With your, you're really putting your English degree to good use here. Me and a thesaurus. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happy to be here for another episode. Can't wait. But before we get into that, Jess and I have a very exciting announcement to make. Yes. Um, per our last three to one shots, at the end I said that I really wanted to see Flogging Molly live. She did. And I would look to see if they were touring anytime soon. And lo and behold, they are coming to Salt Lake City on September 10th. Yes. And within about five minutes of hanging up on the episode, I had already bought two tickets. And Jess and I will be attending their concert in Salt Lake City. We will It's on be. a Sunday, too. So we'll just... It's... Can't wait. We'll probably um, record right before we go. And we will give you live updates of our experiences of trying to get punched in the face mm-hmm, at the concert mm-hmm. via Instagram. Absolutely. So stay tuned can't wait so i am so excited i've been listening to some of their music and i just really want them to play devil's dance floor i'm sure they will Mm -hmm. but that's the song Mm -hmm. i want to give a black guy to um i uh i love watching you accomplish your dreams thank you it's it's small but it's big in the grand scheme of things for my life it'll really i think put me in the right direction as far as truly where to go from here um anyway jess how are you I'm good. All all the good things. Summer's coming to an end and I feel like work has just gone from like zero to 60. Um, I am very busy, but I did, I did do a good thing and I decided not to teach piano this fall. So will not be adding an extra thing to my plate, which is good because I don't know if y'all have tried to plan a wedding recently, but it's a lot of work. So I was like, one thing has to give this fall. And that thing was, unfortunately, piano. But my students are moving on to bigger and better things. One of them is getting voice lessons. This is completely not relevant to any of our listeners. But I just, you know, telling you guys about my life. Letting you all listen to the the ins and outs. Um, I did, Allison, I don't know if I've told you this yet. But I was looking at our episode stats um last week and we have 11 five-star reviews Ooh, we are a hundred percent a five-star podcast so thank you all <laughs> for everybody who has been reviewing us we really appreciate it and we have some good listenership happening and i am just uh we hit our thousandth listen um two weeks ago so that's really exciting like I don't know. This is just like a fun little idea that Allison and I had in her basement and like you guys are still listening to it and it's just like so fun. It's really nice. I love it. So thank you all. Allison, how about you? How's your week? Fine. Kind of as uneventful as they always are. I started going back to my old gym classes. Um with your old ladies? Good. (laughs) Okay. They're they're like middle-aged moms who could snap your neck. With their thighs in an instant. Okay, they are the most fit women and kick my ass every time I go. I really miss their classes and I am in love with all of them, actually. 
it's hard for me to pick favorites here. It's just, Ugh. they don't know about it, but it's just one big polyamorous relationship. <laughs> but, but in the class, there's all these, um, there, there's all these other, like, women that are in it, like, from a bunch of different ages. And one of them recognized me uh, because I left a year ago, moved to Oregon and came back. One of them recognized me, came up and said, hi, how are you doing? And, you know, we talked for a minute. And I noticed when I got back that, like, since I'd seen her last, she got in such good shape. Like, she was toned. And I literally looked at her and I was like, okay, not to be weird, but you look so hot. And she was like, oh my God, thank you. Like, she has five kids. Five. And I would, anyway, (laughs) she, they just, they all look great. And I, (laughs) I only remember the name of a few of the people in the class, hers, and one other woman, and I only know her name because she chewed her gum so annoyingly that I would hyperfixate on her. And when people would say her name, I would like, I know, anyway. So, not <laughs> no a shout out to her, but everywhere else. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad to be back. I could not walk after the first day. Like, I had three full days of like being in so much pain that people at work were like, why are you walking funny? Like, I have never been that sore in my life. But now I'm starting to get back in the swing of things and it's start, it's, you know, it's feeling better and hopefully trying to just get my mental health back on track. So. I love that. I that makes me so happy. When you first started going to that class and telling us about how you were working out with middle-aged women, it made me my heart so happy. And I'm just so glad that you have returned to your wonderland of milfs. I am very happy for mm-hmm. you and your open but, relationship with all of them. <laughs> but they they don't even know about it. Um <laughs> but like the thing is is like it makes the classes sound lame. Like they are I want to take you to one of these classes, Jess, so you can compare it to yes. Orange Theory, because Would love it, it is, especially there's one woman in particular that just, like, ruins you, but, like, I, the only, I would never be able to do that much on my own, but the fact that it's in a class and, you know, I'm following other people makes it so much easier, mm-hmm. so I think it's really good for mental health, like, the thing that I, I am notoriously hard on myself, and I had a really hard time in sports, and other things like when I am alone with my thoughts it I get really self-destructive but there it's so loud and it's so upbeat and you move on from one thing to the next I can't really get into that headspace mm-hmm. as much so I think I really like you know being in those kind of environments it makes <sighs> anyway. such it makes such a difference to mm-hmm. have like external motivators I absolutely have loved joining a gym class that I go to regularly because like it forces you out of the house at a certain time it's not just like oh I'll go to the gym at some point today like you have to show up at a certain time you know you won't be doing it alone and you know that for that hour you don't have to make any decisions Mm -hmm. you're just being told what to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you can like do as much or as little you can like make adjustments Mm -hmm. like I, I definitely can't do as much as I used to be able to which I just need to be easier on myself for because, like, I – there were, like, three years where I, like, went to the gym, like, four times a week. And then the last few mm-hmm. months I had just had a really hard time and didn't go and was just, like, a little ball of depression and, like, a little dark cloud over me the whole time. So now I'm getting back on track. So I lost a lot of it. And so now I'm trying to get it back. But it's just a matter of being, like – I used Consistent. to be able to do like a hundred reps of this with 20 pounds on my shoulders. I need to start without any weight to just build it up again. So yeah, absolutely. Well, and the thing that's nice too, is that you know that you're capable of that. So you know what mm-hmm. it should feel like. So you're working towards that. Um, Cause then also like, it's just different. Like 
I, I mean, it just takes time, especially yeah. cause you've had COVID in the last, I had, it's been a year ago, almost, year it's ago. been a year okay. ago, almost to the day. Uh, cause we were stranded in Maine in August with COVID. That's right. Oh my gosh. Cause I was going to say, I noticed a massive difference in the way that my body responds to working out pre and post COVID. Like hmm. it is like the way that I have to work out is completely different. Not that I can't, but like I am much stronger on the weight floor than I've ever been. But like cardio is a lot more difficult for me post COVID. And for those of you that don't know Jess, Jess was like one of the best runners in the state in high school. <laughs> like, oh, so she, <laughs> she, she's a cardio queen. I was. Cardio was always the easiest thing for me, and I hated lifting weights. It's actually been kind of a weird blessing in disguise because being able to, like, be strong as opposed Mm -hmm. to just fast. Because I was fast because, like, I weighed nothing, and then also, like, I just was tall, so I just, like, was built. I was, like, just naturally good at running. Like, I obviously practiced and like worked really hard but like I just naturally was a good runner where I'm not naturally a strong person and so Mm -hmm. I've had to really work to be a strong person and now I feel like I'm very strong I can lift so so much better than I ever could and that's been like so good for my confidence so Mm -hmm. uh, workout classes they really are just so good for you <laughs> they are they it's it, it it makes such a big difference on my mental health like getting myself mm-hmm. there I hate it but after and afterwards it's like okay I know this is gonna make such a big difference but I also Literally. wonder how you went through a second puberty I and did. your body changed drastically so I wonder if now you're just you're more sturdy like me and yes. you're like you know maybe there's a little Scott little Scotsman in you because yeah. I've never been a runner. I can be fast in short distances. That's why I played softball. Like, I'm fast in short distances. I can hit the ball hard. Was I ever really good at it? No. But when I hit the ball, I hit it hard. So, you know, it makes it it, it makes me wonder if that's kind of where you've started to go now. Because, like, I, I've never been able to run distance. Um, yeah. My mom was the same way. Like, it's just not... Like, we're, no. we're sturdy. We're here to shear your sheep and fight Vikings. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just so funny because, like, I can do endurance still. I just can't do endurance quickly. So, like, I can't run fast in the way that I used to for long distances. But you can stick me on a rower for 30 minutes and I will absolutely destroy your shit. (laughs) I am so good on a rower. Put me on the Harvard rowing team. I am ready. Oh, my God. Wow. Anyway, but yeah, once I get my mental health on track and get fit again, it's over for you, bitches. It's over. I'm telling you. Okay. Uh, anyway. Side question. How are the dating apps? Are you still- They're are already they still deleted. On? I was going to say, They're are already they on deleted. the phone? <laughs> are they gone? No. They got deleted last week. Um, it was exactly how it always has been. Again, I, I already mentioned this. First five uh, profiles were couples looking for a threesome. The sixth profile was my ex. And I was just like, this is just not, it's just not it for me. I I kept them for a while, was trying to talk to people, but women, it's just like, they do the thing where they just, they don't really respond. Nothing really goes anywhere. And I'm just, it just reminded me, I was like, well, I'm still not in a place that I really want to date anyway, so it was fine. But also like, it's just not happening for me. It's just, I have to meet people naturally. It's the only way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. 
So to answer your question, not well, but that's kind of what I expected to happen. But we're back at the gym, so the MILF option is still there. <laughs> but enough digression. So we uh, decided to do a surprise episode again, and Jessicoles, you are going first. Yes. I'm so excited. Allison, this week, I'll be giving you something that I probably should have given you a long time ago. This week, I will be giving you the sex talk. Now, when an adult loves another adult, they do something very beautiful, but only if they consent to one another. Twister? Twister. Just kidding. No, we are not doing we are not doing a sex talk. Could you imagine? I did think about it. I was like, oh, how how funny would it be if I just explained straight sex to Allison for 25 minutes? <laughs> and then I, I was mean, like no one else will think that's funny except for us. <laughs> that, okay, but that's how every single time I get a little tipsy and I'm in the room with straight girls that are really open, I always end up asking a bunch of questions that are wildly inappropriate, but they're also on board to answer. Shout out, Bree. <laughs> I did this to you a little while ago. Um, I was ready. I was here for that. No, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't do that to you on a cold open. But for real this week... And I will preface this by saying when I started my research into this person, I only knew about their early life, not their later life. So maybe they weren't great in the 80s, but they had a very interesting early life. So we're going to stick with it, but just know that I am aware <laughs> and okay. we will go from there. So I decided for this week's episode to lean into a TikTok trend I've been seeing around the last few weeks and cover someone I did not know existed until very recently. This week, I will be telling you the fascinating, if not slightly tragic, life story of Alice Roosevelt Longworth, Theodore Roosevelt's eldest wild child. What? Wait. Oh, no. It was the, it was the Kennedy sister. It was like Rosemary Kennedy that had like a really sad life. Okay, never mind. I don't know who this is. I mean, a lot of politicians' daughters have sad lives. You have likely seen a picture of this woman floating around on TikTok because right now all of the like... I love pumpkin spice feminists have recently rediscovered her and are like putting her all over TikTok. I didn't know anything about her. And I was just like kind of searching some different people to do for this. And I was like, this person's kind of interesting. Um, So we decided to do her. But I'm here for it. Let's go. Anyway, she's very turn of the century. So like kind of like. Honestly, it's very interesting having come in from, like, just barely through the tur a turn of a century. I mean, 20, 20 plus years ago. But, like, having been alive for that and seeing kind of that transition happen. She was, a, like, also very young when the turn of the century happened. And I feel like she is almost... If you were to plop her in today's society and, like, give her basic technology skills, I think that she would thrive. So Okay, so this is Roosevelt's daughter? Yes, this is Teddy so, Roosevelt, or Theodore Roosevelt. Are you talking daughter. about the turn of the century, 1800s, 1900s? Yes. Okay, because I thought you were talking about, I got confused, I thought you meant this turn of the century. I'm like, girl, that, that no. makes her, like, did he, like, freeze his sperm? Like, I don't no. understand. No. All right, got it, got it heard. I am no. here with you, sister. Let's do it. Homeboy died real young, so. Okay, also, I'm drinking a healthy portion of pinot noir and I love this is my you. second glass so my story is gonna i don't even know it's gonna happen i cannot wait i love when Ugh. you go second it's a great time <laughs> just let's go so tell me okay. about what was her name mm -hmm. alice lee roosevelt and it's gonna get complicated for a minute because she's the exact same name as her mom <laughs> 
so bear with me. <laughs> All right, Allie Lee, let's go. Allie Lee. So, Alice Lee Roosevelt was born in her family home in Manhattan on February 12th, 1884. She's an Aquarius. That explains I was literally going to say, Allison, <laughs> fellow Aquarius, not a cusp, full Aquarius. And I know you identify with your Pisces side, but this I am is how Pisces I know. Full and through. I'm barely not an Aquarius, but I have Aquarius okay. tendencies. I like to think I have the best Aquarius tendencies. Yes. Um, Whatever you want to tell yourself, that's fine. Stop. I'm so sensitive. <laughs> also, real fast. Sorry. I was watching a dating show. I'm watching Love is uh, Blind, the second season. And let me tell you what a nightmare. There is one woman on that show, Natalie. And I was seeing her interact with her soon-to-be husband. And I was like, I just know she's an Aquarius. I just know she's a fucking... And I looked it up and she was born on like February 11th. I was fucking right. I can smell an Aquarius from a mile away. Anyway obsessed yes so she is and this is how i know that she and i would likely have been friends because all of my friends are born in like a week span as we famously know and she would fit right in there so um born on february 12 1884 we love to see it however upon her birth alice immediately drew the short stick her mother, a finance heiress from Boston, also named Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, was Theodore Roosevelt's first wife. They had only been married for three years when Alice Jr. was born, and two days after her birth, Alice Lee Sr. died of kidney failure. Not to be outdone by her daughter-in-law, Theodore's mother, Martha Stewart Mitty Bullock, who they were living with at the time, also died of typhoid fever 11 hours prior. So really just like a rough first 48 hours in Alice's life. And like, also Teddy's life, R.I.P. Both of the most important women in his life gone, left with this new important woman in his life, and he was like, "My body is literally not ready for any of this." She's like, "What the fuck's up? I'm about to be a TikTok trend, bitch." Literally, he was like, apparently. What's a TikTok trend? Also, why can you talk? You're a day old. <laughs> so, <laughs> why are you completing full sentences? <laughs> why do you have teeth? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> why are you smiling at me like that? <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, but in reality, it's very, very sad. So what's men of this time not always great to their wives. However, Theodore Roosevelt was desperately in love with Alice's mother. He wrote about her after her death, recalling their first meeting, and said, quote, As long as I live, I shall never forget how sweetly she looked and how prettily she greeted me, end quote. The new widower was only 25 years old at the time of her death. And he named his daughter Alice in honor of his late wife, but he was so overcome with grief that he couldn't call her by her given name of Alice Lee. Instead, he called her Baby Lee, which is Mm. very weird, but kind of cute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He also refused to let anyone call her Alice around him for the rest of his life. Alice herself also continued this practice late in life, often preferring to be called Mrs. L rather than Alice. Theodore seldom spoke of his wife again and even omitted her name from his autobiography. Oh my god. Some real Edward Cullen shit up in this bitch, frankly. Like, he just doesn't know how to deal with that loss. No. No. I mean, mother and wife at the same time, and like, he, they had like a kind of longer courtship. They had a two-year courtship on top of their three-year marriage. So like, he had known her and loved her for five years it was his first child because alice is his oldest like very sad also very i thought sad. that you were gonna say that 
um, when Alice got older, she made people call her Baby Lee, and I was about to punch the computer screen. <laughs> I would simply not I, be able. I tried to type her in as Baby Lee in the story to be, like, consistent, and I was like, I sure. cannot. I will not be participating no. in this. Everybody involved no. is dead. I will be not participate. We, we in our fan base, we would have canceled you. Thank you. Me and, me and our Shotskis, me and our Shotskis, we would have canceled you. <laughs> So baby Alice is like two seconds old and everyone around her is already dying. So it gets a little bit sadder. Shortly after burying his wife, baby Lee's dad <laughs> left what? left his life and new baby in New York and headed west where he spent time traveling and living on a mythical ranch in North Dakota. Come again? He was hanging out in North Dakota, which, as we know, famously do not believe in North Dakota. So what was he doing? I don't know. He was in he a was void. somewhere. He was in the void. He was in the void that is North Dakota. So Alice was left under the care of his sister, Anna, also known as Bammy or Bai, spelled Bai as in goodbye. <laughs> the names, the names of this family. Uh, Theodore kept up to date with Alice's growth via letter, but did not come home for two full years after her birth while he was grieving the death of his mother and wife. Despite this abandonment, because let's call it what it was, abandonment, (laughs) he clearly loved his daughter in his own way. In one 1884 letter home, he wrote, quote, I hope Mousykins will be very cunning. (laughs) I shall dearly love her, end quote. I cannot. I kept that one in just for you. <laughs> I am flushed. Okay. What was your cringiest nickname as a kid? Wiggums. I was Missy Moo because I loved oh, cows, so that made a little bit of sense. Yeah. I was I was Jesse Bug as well, but Wiggums is my is what my dad calls me, and I it, it is a little bit cringy, but I think it's really cute. So I think it, I think mine's cute too. So maybe she thought yeah. hers was cute. So for Mousy just kids. the sake of being kind and understanding, we'll just say that maybe she was into it for some fucking reason. Continue. Absolutely. So Aunt Bammy, the blueprint, what we are all striving to be. Okay. Aunt Bammy had a, se- a decent amount of influence on young Allison and her future independent ways at the turn of the century. You said um, Allison. Did I? You're so sweet. <laughs> so Fre- sweet. Freudian slip. Aw, Mousykins. Aw. <laughs> you better call me that from now on. I will answer to nothing else. <laughs> so um, Alice, Alice's aunt, Aunt Bammy, lived in a very chic Manhattan apartment filled with tons of books and was not married and was just living the high life as a rich single woman so alice would later recall her aunt saying quote if aunt Bai had been a man she would have been president end quote fuck yeah her dad was president yeah that's a high praise coming from her because uh alice goes on to know a lot of presidents so oh sorry was aunt bambi was that roosevelt that was roosevelt's sister yes not Mm -hmm. his wife's sister okay yeah related to theodore i'm pretty sure yes um so aunt bammy took care of alice in her book-filled manhattan house until theodore remarried in 1886 six years after her mother's death this level of independence for so many years would greatly affect alice and how she saw the world as a young woman in modern times he had truly set her up to be the first influencer and wayward teen (laughs) wayward enjoy that (laughs) So, 
After her father married her stepmother, Edith Kermit Caro, a high school sweetheart who was also very jealous of his first wife. I, like, kept in more of these names than I needed to because I was like, I need somebody else to know these names. (laughs) So, Edith Kermit Caro was a high school sweetheart and also very jealous of Theodore's first wife. Mm. She she felt like she'd been picked over and she was a second choice and she made it everybody's problem. So Alice returned home to be raised in the family dynamic and Edith went on to give Alice five half-siblings. Theodore III, Kermit, Ethel, Archie, <laughs> and Quentin. Kermit? Kermit the Frog had to get his name from somewhere and apparently it was this family. <laughs> I just know Kermit liked playing in the gutters. I just know it. <laughs> I just fucking know it. That was the weird. That was a weird kid. Oh, that's true. good. Second son. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, though Aunt Bammy became a physically distanced figure in Alice's life after her move, she still provided mentorship as things got rocky at home. Alice became more independent and continually came to blows with her father and stepmother. And her Aunt Bammy provided the needed structure and stability in Alice's life. So, basically, abandoned, abandoned first child from first marriage. Aunt Bammy was like, I'll love you, kid. <laughs> oh, I love and her in her Manhattan apartment full of books. My dream. I know. I know. And at this point, she'd moved to London with her rich husband to have books in London. So good for her. I, I bet um, she would have gone to my fitness classes. She probably would have. Truly. So, late in life... Alice said of her aunt, quote, there's always someone in every family who keeps it together. In ours, it was Aunt Bammy, end quote. Mm, what, so what a way to be remembered. I love that. Yeah, So really. as Alice entered her teen years, continued tension with her stepmother, extended separation and little attention from her father, had forged a young woman who was independent, outgoing, and self-confident. She don't need no man. Oh, no, honey, she don't. No, she don't. The turn of the century was right around the corner and women's suffrage was rearing its head. When Theodore became the governor of New York in 1899, he and Edith proposed that Alice should attend a conservative school for girls in New York City. In response, Alice cheekily wrote, quote, if you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you, I will, end quote. Oh, good. Meaning, like, I will kiss every girl there. Whatever I have to do, I will make it your problem. <laughs> Good for fucking her, because she knows I, she'll be just fine without him. Yes, absolutely. So two years later, following the 1901 assassination of President William McKinley in Buffalo, her father, then vice president, took office. At age 17, Alice Alice became overnight the 1901 version of an influencer and fashion icon. At her social... (laughs) Eat your heart out, James Charles. Seriously. Seriously. Um, At her social debut a year later, because of course she has to come out into society... She controversially wore a blue gown that later became known as Alice Blue, sparking a color trend in women's clothing and a pop song titled Alice Blue Gown. Mm. So usually debutantes wore white. She decided to wear blue and uh, became the muse for some pop singer in 1901 or 1902, I guess. So good for her. I wonder what pop music sounded like back then. Uh... 
I don't know. I Thank really you. have no next. clue. Thank you. Next. <laughs> I'm so fudging grateful for my eggs. <laughs> Jess has disappeared from the screen. Please come home. I'm sorry. I think it was maybe more like harpsichordy. I don't know. I, I don't just know. imagine that like that, like twang, like or certain, you know what I mean, like that. We are gonna find it, and I will. I will. I, if I can find a saved recording of this, I will find a way to share it. Did you but try to look it up at all? Because I can try to look it up now. Look it up. See what happens. I'm. I'm on it. Okay. Oh, wait, I got it. I got it. That's literally just what I sounded like. Okay, now that we know it wasn't Ariana Grande, we can move on. (laughs) So, Alice was the mood, she was the moment. So, for so much social power for one so young and headstrong was bound to cause some controversy. At the time, Alice was deeply against marriage. (laughs) She distrusted men, she was headstrong, and she regarded herself as a, quote, solitary woman in her own right, end quote. But her strong personality and then shocking single woman lifestyle became great fodder for gossip and and high society magazines. She was really just putting a big middle finger up to social norms (laughs) at the time. We love to see it. In vain attempts to get her father's limited attention, Alice, quote, used the adulation of the public as sort of a stand-in for what she couldn't get from her father, end quote. According to biographer Stacey A. Corduroy, Alice became, quote, a female caricature of her father's most criticized traits, impetuosity, stubbornness, and sensitivity, end quote. Alice would later say of her father, quote, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening, end quote. Full circle back to baby. Full circle. Full circle. I just, I'm going to read that again. This is a daughter speaking of her father, who was a president of the United States. Quote, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. We love the amount of shade happening here. (laughs) However, her outspokenness and antics managed to continue to win the hearts of the American people, who went on to nickname her Princess Alice. Mm. So, new nickname dropped in the chat. Princess Alice quickly leaned into the wild child narrative the press was crafting for her. She smoked cigarettes on the White House roof, despite a law banning women from smoking in public. She placed horse racing bets with bookies, rode in cars with men, attended late night parties unescorted, and wore her pet... This This is a very entertaining fact. She wore her pet snake, named Emily Spinach, wrapped around one arm. Emily Spinach was named after a aunt that she had who was a spinster that she loved dearly. And spinach was for the color of the snake. Are, wow. I are, Were all the women in her life lesbians? I really think so. Okay. That's what I thought too. Are you? I, I, wow. I, I got the vibe. I got the vibe. I'm, I'm getting, I, my gaydar is going off from here and it's like a hundred years later. I know. Both aunts. I'm like, hmm. Both answer like, I will see you in my fitness classes tomorrow, bitch. <laughs> Can't wait. 
So Alice's self-declared objective, you might be asking, quote, my major preoccupation was to have a good time, end quote. (laughs) Good. That's my girl. If anything, Alice is a spoiled, like, rich girl. Like, like, let's call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, she had a very Mm -hmm. tragic, like, early life story, but, like, she's a spoiled rich girl, like, working, like, living in politics. However, the quotes that come out of this woman are just insane. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So the papers, of course, were there when she became the first woman to drive the 75 miles in a car from Newport to Boston. They saw her as she raced said car up and down the streets of Washington. She chewed gum. Allison, trigger warning, my apologies. Played poker, wore pants, and partied all night with the Vanderbilts and slept till noon. She is... And there's no mention of what drugs she was doing, but you know, early 1910s, it had to be good. Just, it had to be just like one brick of cocaine you smashed your face into. It wasn't even crushed. You just lick it like a popsicle. (laughs) It's like a salt lick for horses. (laughs) What a vision. So a Paris newspaper during the early days of her father's presidency noted that in 15 months, Alice attended... 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties. One paper reported that she had stripped down to her lingerie at a drunken orgy held at a Newport, Rhode Island mansion and danced on a tabletop. Unfortunately, and I have, I take umbrage with this, the story proved to be false, but if I were a president and I had the connections of a president, to turn to a newspaper and say, say that the story is false or, and I'll give you money and, or I will do something that will make you not be a newspaper anymore. Could have happened. And for her sake, I hope it was true. That sounds like a rip roaring good time. (laughs) But literally going to be me at the flogging Molly concert. (laughs) Again, she is the blueprint. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So Alice was also reported as a prankster all around Washington, D.C., pulling silly tricks like putting tacks on chairs in the House of Representatives and waiting until her victims embarrassed themselves by sitting down and then getting the up House and yelling. The House of Representatives? Yes. Yes. Not just like an office guy. No. Like in the House of Representatives. Just like, y'all mind if I just thumbtack here? Oh my god. <laughs> um, and what's great is that like despite these hazings that would make you think that she's like like loathes politics um alice was very politically minded and often would like take her concepts and thoughts to the man himself in the oval office but of course because she's a woman none of them were entertained um the president commented to his friend author owen wister after she interrupted their conversation for a third time quote i can either run the country or i can attend to alice but i cannot possibly do both end quote and this is her dad right this is this is this is the president of the united states at the time wait so roosevelt was still the president yes yeah okay okay so because he had two terms um but despite the discouragement from her parents alice loved quote the spectacle drama and intrigue of politics end quote um according to brian craston an author while living in washington dc she was dubbed quote the other washington monument because of her insistence on the on political involvement so she really didn't give a fuck she was like i know that i'm not supposed to be here but i am inserting myself in 1905 
she finally got her chance to fully like do something meaningful. Alice, along with her father's Secretary of War, William Howard Taft, led the American delegation to Japan, Hawaii, China, the Philippines, and Korea. It was the largest diplomatic tour in the U.S. to date and comprised of 23 congressmen, including her future husband, seven senators, diplomats, officials, and businessmen. So this is something that's crazy that like we don't really think about because it's so commonplace now but like up until that time it was not easy to travel to these places and because like of steam power and all like and like general you know i mean the titanic was going at these points like coal and all of that good jazz they could actually go on these tours and like meet politicians from other countries like globalization is just beginning at this point so she's really like on the crux Mm. of some very cool social stuff but um during the cruise to japan alice jumped into the ship's swimming pool fully clothed and coaxed congressman william croken to join her in the water putting a romantic spin on the story newspaper reported that it was long worth alice's future husband in the decades after her friend lol bobby kennedy of all people (laughs) would tease her about the incident saying it was outrageous for the time to which the at the by then octogenarian alice replied that it only would have been outrageous if she had removed her clothes so really she could have taken it up at a level she could have she could have been a little bit more a little bit more crazy but she she held herself in so good for her Um, In December 1905, after returning to Washington from their diplomatic travels, Alice became engaged to Nicholas Longworth III, a Republican U.S. House of Representative members from Cincinnati, Ohio, who ultimately would rise to become the Speaker of the House. So while she was sticking thumbtacks, this guy was like, ooh, I kind of liked that and uh, decided to put a ring on it. So good for her. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, I'm into that shit. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the two had traveled in the same social circles for several years, but their relationship solidified during this imperial cruise. A member of a prominent Ohio family, Longworth was 14 years older than Alice mm. and had a reputation as a Washington, D.C. playboy. I'm sure she just loved him. Hot? Question mark? Yeah. Or not? Question mark. That's up to you to decide, my <laughs> friend. So let's see. If she was 17 in 1901, that puts her at 21 when she got married. And he was 14 years her senior, so he's 35. Ew. Not good. Ew. Not hot. So Alice broke her anti-marriage sentiments in February 1906 when she finally married her playboy. Naturally, their wedding was the social event of the season. They had over 1,000 guests planning a wedding right now 1000 guests makes me want to cry yeah you look like you're Um, you're upset about that yeah i like just kind of thought about that just a little bit i could see your gears turning you guys like jess's face just sunk she aged like 40 years in front of my eyes (laughs) um and then they had many thousands more gathered outside hoping for a glimpse of the bride so she really was like american royalty because like this is the kind of shit that the english are pulling when their royalty gets married but she she was doing it here. Um, of course, she wore a blue wedding dress and dramatically cut her wedding cake with a sword. Oh my god! I might take a page out. I of her will book. say it again. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> During her honeymoon, the two traveled to England and the European continent to quote have dinners with King Edward the Seventh, Kaiser Wilhelm the Second of Germany. 
um, a bunch of other people who I don't think anybody will know, and then William Jennings Bryan. So she really was just like, I'm going to go have casual dinners with like all of the royalty in Europe. So that's great. Good for her. (laughs) After all of these casual dinner nights, they moved back to D.C. where Alice would stay for the rest of her life. However, if you thought Princess Alice would slip into marriage and play nice with her husband, you'd be sorely mistaken. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was waiting for this part. Despite pleas from both sides, Alice publicly supported her father's progressive presidential candidacy in 1912 presidential election, while her husband threw his support behind his mentor, President William Howard Taft, who was running for re-election on the Republican ticket. During that election cycle, Alice appeared on stage with her father's vice presidential candidate in Longworth's own district. Longworth lost by about 105 votes, and she joked that she was worth at least 100 of those votes, citing that she was the reason that he lost. Girl girl a really good way to start a marriage we love that for her um however her husband was elected again in 1914 and stayed in the house for the rest of his life because we don't have good term limits in the house but whatever it's fine so um alice's campaign against her husband naturally caused a permanent chill in their marriage No. <laughs> didn't didn't really go off very well. So during their marriage, she carried on numerous affairs. It's generally accepted knowledge in the DC area that she also had a long ongoing affair with Senator William Bora, and the opening of Alice's diaries to historical researchers indicates that Bora was the father of her daughter Paulina. Good for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> um Alice Alice was renowned for her brilliant, malicious humor, even in this sensitive situation, since she had originally wanted to name her daughter Deborah, as in Deborah. And according to one family friend, quote, everybody called her Paulina Aurora Bora Alice. End quote. Is that a constellation? <laughs> I'm so fucking I think it's supposed to be like... Like what is the what is the the North Arctic yeah. like light Aurora show? Borealis. Isn't that like Aurora Borealis? Yeah. yeah. Right? I yeah, that's what you're referencing. Obsessed. Um, so when the Roosevelt family finally left the White House after his last term, Alice got her last laugh and buried a literal voodoo doll of the new first lady, Nellie Taft, in the front yard. <laughs> He wasn't even, like, impeached. Like, he literally just finished his scent. Oh, wow. Like, he, he just, she just finished she just, it. She, she just had to have the last this word. This is the most Aquarius um, bitch I've ever heard of in my entire I, life. I literally, I was like, there's not, like, anything that she did that's, like, really, really, like, influential other than she just, like, was the moment. <laughs> so extra. <laughs> um. So... Later, the Taft White House banned her from the residence. Naturally. The first but not the last administration to do so during Woodrow Wilson's succeeding administration, which also banned her in 1916 for a body jokes at Wilson's expense. Alice worked hard against the entry of the United States into the League of Nations, which maybe was not her hottest take and will not be her last bad take. But uh, she really said any concept of the UN. Nah, don't do it. But we love a woman who can get banned from two White House White House uh, families. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Good for her. It's like it's that like that quote that like well-behaved women rarely make history. Yes, 
said by her cousin, who she also was a bitch to. Fuck so. me, I guess. Holy shit, really? Is that going to be coming up? Um, yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt was her cousin, uh, who was married oh, to yeah. um, FDR. Damn. Yeah. Um, and famously, the two women did not like each other. <laughs> okay. So Alice would continue to not have, like, the most awesome political takes in her later life. Um, her social wit and enigma had political effects both positive and negative across the board when a columnist claimed there was a grassroots support for a opposing republican presidential candidate wendell wilkie again oh my god the names in this um the republicans hoped to use to defeat her cousin fdr in 1940 she said quote yes the grassroots of 10,000 country clubs end quote during the 1940 presidential campaign she publicly proclaimed that she'd rather quote vote for hitler than vote for (gasps) franklin for a third term end quote alice demolished another um political rival in 1944 by comparing the pencil mustached republican to quote the bridegroom on the wedding cake end quote the image stuck and governor dewey lost two consecutive presidential elections and she got the credit for that. So she was just like tweeting without like without Twitter. Like she literally was just like saying hot tweets and was like cuz I think the way I interpreted this cuz it's like a little bit complicated, I think that she like did not love her cousin Franklin D Roosevelt, but she was also like well, I don't want somebody else to win against him. So, I'm going to I'm going to be a little bit, a little bit. But how, how did she like do that? Was it through the radio? Like, how did she get her word out there to so I many I think people? it was through, I think it was through the press because she's oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a socialite. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, she is a socialite. Okay. So the press was following her around. She also like had the ear of all of these political people because she just lived in Washington and was like a known entity. She has known every president since 18, like what she was born in 1880 something she's known um she's the longest living child of a president so she's known every administration since she was like six years old because that's when her dad like got he became the new york governor and like all of their children and all of their children's children like she's really like on it so despite all of her social successes and like political pandering alice suffered one final blow when her daughter paulina died in 1957 Mm. from an overdose of sleeping pills uh, not very long before Paulina's death, she and Alice had discussed the care of her granddaughter, Joanna, in the case of Paulina's death. Alice fought hard for and won the custody of her granddaughter, whom she raised after that, which is actually, like, very... That's, that's very sweet, like, yeah. Uh, jo- Joanna, her granddaughter, has been described as, quote, a highly attractive and intellectual 22-year-old, end quote, and was called quote, a notable contributor to Miss Longworth's youthfulness. The bonds between them are twin cables of devotion and a healthy respect for each other's tongue. A friend said that Miss L has been a wonderful father and mother to Joanna, mostly father, end quote. <laughs> oh. Because she, she was like a single grandparent providing like... Wow. So she's playing the fatherly roles. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. In her later life, Alice didn't shy away from the new wave of political families. She developed a close friend with Richard Nixon when he was vice president. In 1957, he served as a pallbearer at her daughter's funeral. Mm. 
when he returned to California after Dwight Eisenhower's second term and his loss in the 1960 presidential election, she kept in touch and did not consider his political career to be over. Alice heavily encouraged Nixon to re-enter politics and continued to invite him to her famous dinners. Nixon returned these favors by inviting to his, her to his first formal White House dinner and to the 1971 wedding of his daughter, Tricia Nixon. So really, we have Alice to blame for Richard Nixon. Watergate Beach. Mm-hmm. Like I said, <laughs> maybe not the best person to have around in the 80s, but after Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1968, Alice again supported her friend Richard Nixon in the 1968 and 1972 elections, just as she had done in his 1960 campaign against John F. Kennedy. Famously, did not like the Kennedy family. Very interesting. Hmm. Um, she was recorded in a telephone conversation with Nixon in the Nixon White House tapes, sharply criticizing the 1972 Democratic nominee, George McGovern. Her long friendship with Nixon ended at the conclusion of the Watergate scandal. Fair enough. Naturally. Fair enough. Specifically, and this is so spicy, specifically when Nixon quoted her father's diary at his resignation saying, quote, only if you've been to the lowest valley can you know how great it is to be on the highest mountaintop, end quote. So the this obviously made Alice very mad. Yeah. Um, because she watched him compare his early departure from the White House in the face of probable impeachment and possible criminal persecution to her idealistic young father's loss of his wife and mother on the same day to illness. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> her hot look, Nixon. Uh, no. Um, Nixon, however, remembered her favorably, calling her, quote, the most interesting conversationalist of the age, end quote, and said no one, no matter how famous, could ever outshine her, end quote. So at least, you know, he remembered her favorably. favorably. Um, she remained cordial with Nixon's successor, Gerald Ford, but a perceived lack of social grace on Jimmy Carter's part caused her to decline to ever meet him, and he was the last sitting president in her lifetime. So, just think about this. Think about the presidents she's had in her lifetime. She's had FDR. She's had Dwight D. Eisenhower. She's gone through the JFK assassination. Like, and Jimmy Carter is, like, where she ends at. Like, that's just so, it's just so interesting, like, how many different eras of American history she's lived through and, like, been a part of. So, did she ever end up? getting along with her father so did she like defended him obviously yeah yeah i think it's the thing of like she got married and she was another man's problem and like (laughs) had the relationship she could have from there she very much defended her father like throughout her life so even though she didn't necessarily like have the best relationship with him he was still like she still um, support it because I mean even when it came between her husband supporting her husband and her father she went with her father mm. and it kind of ruined her marriage um which honestly good for her way to stand by your convictions yeah yeah get a girl so um in the official statement marking her death president carter wrote quote she had style she had grace and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers to washington wondering which was worse to be skewered by her wit or to be ignored by her end quote what a way to be remembered like wow again this woman this woman rich socialite like i 
maybe not the most sure. like best person that's ever lived but i just find her li- like can you imagine the story she can tell like yeah like it's hard the things she knows yeah like it's hard enough in this day and age to be a woman who has opinions and loud and and a loud voice Mm -hmm. especially politically but she was doing it a hundred years ago when that was simply not done like she was truly a trailblazer like as and i mean obviously she had a very enormous like an enormous personality which had to have ebbs and flows like ups and downs so it makes sense that she had things that we don't fully support but in general just her being who she was back then obviously like women admired that and men feared that and that's yes no seriously she was like touted as this very like if you let your daughters be independent, this is what's going to, they're going to smoke on roofs and like do all these things. She was very much like, I don't care that I'm a girl. I'm going to have fun either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? That is another form of feminism. And we love that for her. We do. So um, to wrap things up, after many years of ill health, Alice died in her house in DC on February 20th, 1980, eight days after her 96th birthday of emphysema and pneumonia. She is buried in Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C., and she is the longest-lived child of a U.S. president. At the age of 96. 96 years Holy old. Shit. Yeah. Of her quotable comments, Alice's most famous found its way onto a pillow in her living room. If you, quote, if you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me, end quote. So that's what the pillow says. She had it embroidered. Like, she had it in her house. Gossip with me kind of yes. thing? Yes. Oh my god. If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. <laughs> um, yes. I know. I know. So, and I love this one. I love this one because uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy was an asshole, but uh, to Senator Joseph McCarthy, who had jokingly remarked at a party, quote, here's my blind date. I'm going to call you Alice, end quote. She sarcastically said back, quote, Senator McCarthy, you are not going to call me Alice. The truck man, the trash man, and the policeman on my block may call me Alice, but you may not, end quote. Wow. <sighs> Putting McCarthyism in, in its place. Um, she also informed President Lyndon B. Johnson that she wore wide brim hats so he couldn't kiss her. <gasps> and when a, I know, right? When a well-known Washington senator was discovered to have been having an affair with a young woman less than half his age, she quipped, quote, you can't make a souffle rise twice, end quote. Oh. And that is... Oh, my God. The illustrious life of Alice Lee Roosevelt and her incredible quick wit and all of the very, very fun things she did in Washington, D.C. for 96 years. I kind of imagined her as a little bit less buttoned up version like the american version of um the dowager in downton abbey like you know the grandma mm-hmm. have you ever watched Downton? i have yes. not but yeah. I- i've heard of this person yes she's played by um she's played by maggie, maggie smith right smith yeah, yes yeah. um so very much like that quick wit very very sassy very like she probably was like even up to her deathbed was like fuck this shit absolutely (laughs) um but love that for her and like i said you know what maybe not the best political friends maybe not the like best takes i'm sure she had a healthy dose of racism in there as well naturally Um, of course naturally with the time 
But god damn it, was she fascinating. She sure so. was. And the most Aquarius motherfucker I've ever heard. Literally, literally the blueprint for being an Aquarius. <laughs> I'm gonna look up a look up a picture. Oh, and she's hot as hell. Oh, I believe like, that. Um, very beautiful. Damn. She yeah. has that bitch face. She does. Like she truly, truly does. Oh, and that's is that her oldest fuck? Yeah. She looks like the old lady in Titanic. I say that because I just rewatched Titanic after your episode. Cried my eyes out like a fucking baby. And it was so fun watching it in the eyes, like in the eyes of the director, knowing that he was filmed the last half as a horror movie. That fact yes. was so fucking interesting. And seeing like the water is a monster, you were so right. Like the way it creeped yes. around corners and they were trying to get away. I was like, yes. this is so cool. Oh my gosh. He shot it like a horror film. And like the moment you realize that, it is so, it's so scary. It is. It's um, so much scarier. So I loved that fact. And the entire time, like I yeah. knew what was going to happen, but I was just so emotional. I haven't yes. seen that movie in a minute. It, it's so well done. I know, right? It really, it truly is. Oh my gosh. Jess. Allison. My girl. My queen. You know how last time we did a surprise episode, I, like, ruined your life with a story about the worst airline disaster in history? Yes. Well, this time, I'm going to surprise you with a story that will make you much less sad. It will also prepare you for my behavior at the upcoming (laughs) Vlogging Molly concert uh, we are attending in a few weeks. Jess. I am going to tell you about one of the worst decisions ever made in the history of Major League Baseball. Oh? I am going to tell you about an event in 1974 famously known as Ten Cent Beer Night. (laughs) (laughs) What? And... And before your eyes cross and you just completely tune out, baseball is not the main focus of the story. What I will be talking about are the fans that got absolutely plastered that night and literally started a fucking riot. I cannot wait. Yeah. So before I get into this, my sources are I, I relied heavily on Wikipedia, which is unusual for me, but they had it all very, uh, very well spaced out and i could understand listen sometimes they really get into it and you're like we were all forbidden from using it in in school but fuck it my teachers can come for me i'm 25 i don't care anymore so i also an article on bleacherreporter.com an article on fan nation by matthew postens an ohio magazine article by bill uh, lubinger and a fired up article by howie mooney Okay, so on to Ten Cent Beer Night, a night that I, I'm kind of wishing I could have attended. I'm not gonna lie. So, today we will be talking about two major league baseball teams, the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians. And just a quick PSA: the name of the Cleveland Indians team has been changed to the Cleveland Guardians because a, it's fucking racist, and b, it's fucking racist okay but to avoid confusion i will be referring to them by the name they had during this event which was the indians 
But I just wanted to make sure to say that this is not their name anymore. So, like, times are changing. Love it. It's good. So, like all good things in this world, such as 10 Cent Beer Night, there is a bit of history to this event. (laughs) Prior to this night, the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians already had a little bit of beef with each other. Six days earlier, the Indians were in Texas at Arlington Stadium playing the Rangers when some shit went down. And, okay... Just real fa- sorry, this part does get a little baseball-y, so just hang in there. Let me know if you have any questions. I, like, played softball for a little bit. I kind of know things, but not I've a dated, lot. I've dated many baseball players, Allison. I don't know if you remember this, but I actually know more about baseball than mm. most sports. So, I'm ready. This is fair. The trouble started at the bottom of the fourth inning in, in this baseball game in Texas. The, the trouble started at the bottom of the fourth inning when Rangers batter Tom Grieve was allowed to walk to first base, either because he was hit by the pitcher or the pitcher threw four balls. I couldn't find out which one. The next Rangers batter, Lenny Randall, hit a single. So this, and I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to talk to you like you don't know what baseball is. I just like, I'm trying to make this clear for people that don't, that are listening. Yes. So he hit a single. So this means that bases one and two each have a player on one. Mm -hmm. And so the third batter hit a ball to Indians third baseman, John Lowenstein, who tried to get a double play, meaning he tried to get two players out at once. Mm -hmm. He stepped on the third base bag to get the first batter out and threw the ball to second base to get the second batter, Randall, out. But... Randall slid hard into Indian second baseman Jack Brommer or Brohammer. I like Brohammer way more. And him sliding into Jack Brohammer ruined the play. And obviously, the Indians were like a little salty salt about that. You know what I'm saying? So the Indians retaliated in the bottom of the eighth inning when pitcher Milt Wilcox threw pitches directly at Randall trying to hit him. (gasps) But... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. But Randall eventually laid down a bunt. Wilcox fielded the ball and was able to tag Randall out. On his way off the field, Randall hit him with his forearm, which is funny to me. Like, of all things to hit a person with. Anyway, Wilcox fielded the ball and was able to tag Randall, the Rangers player, out. On his way off the field, Randall hit him with his forearm Indians first baseman John Ellis responded by punching Randall. Then both of the team's benches emptied for a brawl. After the brawl was broken up, as the Indians players and coaches were returning to their dugout, they were struck by food and beer hurled by Rangers fans. Indians catcher Dave Duncan had beard poured directly on his head and he had to be restrained from going into the stands to fight the Rangers fans. <sighs> The Rangers did end up winning that game. And the thing a lot of people don't get is that at that time, there was, like, the first, the very front row of the bleachers was right next to the roof of the dugout. So people could just climb on to just stand on the roofs and, like, of the dugouts to do whatever the fuck they wanted the players inside. So it was a little unhinged. Anyway, so that's how it all started. There was already some animosity. But the thing is, is that there was a game in six days. And so after this game, comments were made by the Rangers coach implying that Cleveland didn't have enough fans to make them worry when they got to Cleveland to play in one week. 
During the week leading up to the team's next meeting in Cleveland, sports radio hosts talked a ton of shit, and cartoons of the Indians mascot wearing boxing gloves were printed in the newspapers with a caption reading, quote, be ready for anything. Needless to say, this only fueled the fans' anger towards the Rangers. So things were already getting spicy. Like, there was sriracha in the air, and people were getting pumped okay they really said take me out to the ball game (laughs) they sure fucking did okay so on to 10 cent beer night which is what we're all here for (laughs) to ensure that the stadium was full for this important game cleveland stadium advertised a 10 cent beer night and it is exactly as it sounds fans would be able to purchase 3.2 percent alcohol content beer for 10 cents a pop, which is about 55 cents in today's money, you could buy up to six beers. So, oh, fuck, a literal six pack, a literal six pack of beer. You could buy up to six beers at a time, and there were absolutely no limits as to how many purchases you could make during the game. So, you could leave, chug those six beers, and get right back in line. Oh, absurd. Okay. Insurance okay. would never, property insurance would never anymore. That's a good point. And we'll get there. Okay. So, over 25,000 fans showed up, which was more than double what was expected. And it was assumed at the time that 3.2% beer was not enough to get the fans drunk. So, they weren't, like, too worried about it. But with no limit on the amount you could buy and with the cheap price, mankind found a way. It's like, clearly they've never met frat boys from Utah. Like, listen, like, give me enough 3.2% beers at those flogging Molly concert. I am sure to get arrested. Like, we will find a way. I used to get sloshed off of that many beers. I mean, off of, like, 3.2% beers. It just... Where there's a will, there's a way. And mankind found a way. We found a way to make fire. We could find a way to get shitty off of 3.2% beers. It's beautiful. It really is. Truly. All right. Also... I want to say that in the 70s, you could literally bring whatever you wanted into the stadium. You could walk in with a handle of vodka and they'd be like, cool, enjoy the game, have fun. So regardless of the beer, people were already getting sloshed and many pre-gamed in town after they got off of work that night. So talk about a recipe for disaster. So to set the scene, it was a hot night, much like tonight. 82 degrees humid above the stadium a full moon settled in and people were ready to get litty titty baby so the game started and the rangers quickly took a five to one lead as the game progressed the crowd got more and more unruly early in the game cleveland's Leron Lee hit a line drive into the stomach of Rangers pitcher Ferguson Jenkins, which caused Jenkins to drop to the ground. Fans in the upper deck of the stadium cheered, then chanted, quote, hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. (laughs) A woman... (laughs) A woman ran onto the Indians' on-deck circle and flashed her breasts at them and tried to kiss the umpire, who was, quote, not in a kissing mood. (laughs) (laughs) Quote. (laughs) And I don't know who that quote was from. I I hope it's from her. 
So soon after this, as Rangers' Tom Grieve hit his second home run of the game, a naked man ran onto the field and slid into second base. Okay, I just need to pause real fast. Have you ever slid into a base before? No. But I have, like, dived for a volleyball in a sand volleyball pit. So, like... Okay, you get that. You get it. It is rough. Like, it hurts. I still have... It has been, you know, eight, ten years since I played softball. I still have scars on my thighs from sliding into bases without wearing sliding shorts. And that was still through, like, two layers of clothing. Yeah. It fucking hurts. It shreds you. They're, we call them raspberries, but that's giving them a very cute name because it's literally, it just takes, like, the entire, like, first three layers of skin off Ew. your body. This guy did it fucking naked. I cannot imagine the regret that he felt for the rest of his fucking life because of this single decision. Anyway. Dingle dangle out? <sighs> dingle dangle out, honey. And apparently it was, like, a perfect slide. Like, I imagine he just slid in, popped up, and ran. And he got away without getting caught. So I think he just jumped the fence. And ran. And Kept he never going. got caught. And I mean, I love that for him. I do. I just... Anybody who's ever slid into a base gets gets it. It is... Ew, wow. Anyway. So, one inning later, right after that guy streaked and slid into second base, a father and son ran onto the outfield and mooned the fans in the bleachers. Dude, everybody's getting naked. <laughs> Just everybody's getting fucking naked. And so at this point, the stadium literally could not keep the beer stocked because it was going so fast. So, Jess, in this situation, you know, you've worked in marketing. Like, what do you do? You stop serving. No, you allow the fans to line up and have their cups filled directly from the beer trucks. Your answer is correct. They did not do that. They did the exact opposite of probably what should have been done. I mean, fuck it. We ball, I guess. Fuck it, we literally ball at the ballpark. So <laughs> you allow the so they allowed the fans to line up directly at the beer trucks. Like like these fans had access to unlimited spigots of beer. And also, okay, lineup is being generous. There was no order. Witnesses recall that it was just one huge crowd of people mobbing these trucks. And eventually the two teenaged girls who were supposed to be in charge of serving the beer just got the fuck out of there and the fans went nuts. 10 cent beer night turned into all you can drink for free beer night. Fans were filling up their own containers and some weren't even using cups, but they were just like lying under the beer taps as they poured beer into their own mouths. Fair enough. I mean, in I mean, yeah. What year is this? 1974? 19- 1974, yeah. Okay. Okay. And just for reasons even God can't understand, hundreds of fans had also brought firecrackers and smoke bombs into the stands, which they set off at random times. Quote, lending the game a war zone ambience that would seem increasingly appropriate. (laughs) End quote. I found the way our stories connect. Richard Nixon was president during this time. So <laughs> this is Richard Nixon's Period. America. <laughs> this is all about RN right here. Our boy, Richie Nix. Okay, this Richie. is all about him. Oh my gosh. 
So as the game progressed, more and more fans ran onto the field and caused problems. Fans in the bleachers also harassed players on the field, which is not surprising. Rangers first baseman Mike Hargrove was having a particularly rough time. Quote, I bet I had five or ten pounds of hot dogs thrown at me at first base. I had a gallon jug of Thunderbird wine land about ten feet behind me. End quote. And also, this wasn't just any jug of wine. This was an empty gallon jug of wine. So they're like just trying to kill him. They had, but like they had drunk it all. Wow. That's the thing. Is like. And I don't know if it was glass or plastic. I bet it was glass. I'm pretty sure it was glass. But yeah, yeah they were trying to kill him, but there wasn't even anything in it because they had all drank it. That's how fucking shitty these people were oh getting. Oh my god. Okay, and so this led me, and I'm sure many people listening, to the very important question, where the fuck were the police this whole time? <laughs> Probably getting drunk with them. <laughs> sure thing. But um, actually not, because the answer to this is that security was there. But they were old and overweight. And just the sight of these cops being juked by streakers made the crowd laugh uncontrollably at them. They just didn't stand a chance. And I read somewhere that they, at one point, they just gave up because they, like, couldn't catch anyone. I mean, yeah. Like, some 19 year old streakers go on. I mean, like, how is, like, 50 year old Kevin weighing in at 250 pounds gonna stop this guy? Poor Kevin. <sighs> Poor Kevin. Kevin, Kevin we appreciate trying. you. Kevin retired after this. We just know he did. Kevin All said, right. mm, no, Red Heart. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing on into the game, the Rangers later argued a call in which Cleveland's Leron Lee was called safe in a close play at third base. So in the process of sliding into third, he spiked the Rangers' third baseman with his cleats, and that forced the third baseman to leave the game. The Rangers were pissed that he was called safe, and that just enraged the Cleveland fans even more, who, again, began throwing objects onto the field. Someone even tossed lit firecrackers into the Rangers' bullpen, which is where the pitchers warm up. They tossed lit firecrackers at them. Just the air was literally so smoky because of all the fireworks and the marijuana. It was just a cloud in there. Have you ever been to Cleveland, Ohio? Uh, is that the one? I think so. It's kind of shitty. So, like, I've I've been to a Cheesecake Factory in Cleveland, Ohio. And you telling me that this occurred in Cleveland, Ohio makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The reason I found out about this story was because I was researching another story that happened in Cleveland. I'm not sure if there's enough information to cover it. But it's, it's fucking weird. And that's how I found this. So, anyway. By the seventh inning, anyone who was sober had was, was like, goodbye. We, are, we don't want to deal with this. So they peaced out. And so everyone in the remaining crowd continued to just grow drunker and more unstable. Again, like Allison is going to be at the Flogging Molly concert. So in the bottom of the ninth inning... The Indians finally tied the game 5-5. to Rusty Torres was on second base, representing the potential winning run for Cleveland. So they should have been pumped. But with a crowd that had been drinking heavily for nine innings, the situation finally came to a head. 
a 19-year-old fan named Terry Yurkic ran onto the field and attempted to steal Texas outfielder's Jeff Burrow's cap. As Burrows turned to confront the fan, he tripped and fell. But to the rest of his team in the dugout, it looked like he had just been attacked. So Texas Rangers manager Billy Martin charged onto the field with his players right at his heels, wielding baseball bats. (gasps) Then a large number of intoxicated fans surged onto the field, some of them armed with knives, chains, and clubs fashioned from portions of his... Yeah, and clubs fashioned from portions of stadium seats that they had torn apart. 200 fans surrounded the 25 Rangers players with more fans coming. Are you about to tell me that somebody died? No, no. (laughs) Then, I told you it wouldn't make you as sad as the last one, okay? You'll be fine. So then, Cleveland manager Ken Aspromonti realized that the Rangers could be in serious trouble, so he ordered his own players to grab bats and help the Rangers. Thus, they began attacking their own fans in the process. So now, at this point, both teams are on the field. Hundreds of fans are surrounding them. They are literally fighting for their lives. Rioters threw cups, rocks, bottles, batteries from radios, probably the radios themselves, if I'm being honest, hot dogs, popcorn containers, and steel folding chairs at the players. <laughs> this really is you at the Flogging Molly concert. It, no, this is literally me. So this is to get you ready. Cleveland relief pitcher Tom Hilgendorf was hit in the head by one of the chairs and had to be helped off the field. To make you feel better, that is probably the worst injury and it still wasn't that serious. Okay. So to put this into perspective... They weren't just being, like, the chairs weren't just being thrown around on the ground. They were being thrown from the stands high above the field. So Paul Tiple, uh, who was the photographer for the Cleveland Press, um, he probably took the most pictures of the riot. As he was walking towards the riot, this is what he said, quote, I was maybe 30 yards away from the right field stands and I heard this clatter as I was walking. Someone had thrown a folding chair out of the upper deck. It landed about six feet to the right of me. End quote. Like, it was insane. You guys, it's just baseball. It's not that serious. Come on. But 10 cent beer, bitch. But 10 cent beer. 10 cent beer. 10 cent beer. Mm-hmm. I get it. So Hargrove, the Rangers first baseman, who I like briefly talked about before, he was one getting absolutely fucked at third base with hot dogs. Yeah. Sorry, first base. So um, he was a Rangers first baseman. He subdued a rioter in a fist fight. But on the way to his dugout, he had to like fist fight like more people to get there. The two teams retreated off the field through the dugouts in groups with players from both teams protecting each other, which is just so beautiful and sweet, you know? The true meaning of teamwork happening right here. The true meaning of Christmas. So they managed... (laughs) So they managed to get into the locker rooms and lock the doors. Hargrove later said, quote, if it wasn't for the Indians helping us off the field, we could have been in a whole lot of trouble. End quote. Sportsman show. So, mm-hmm. so at this point, there were approximately 1,000 fans on the field. They took this opportunity to steal the bases, which have never been seen again. Naturally. And literally anything else that they could find. 
So the umpire Nestor Chilak realized that order would not be restored, so he forfeited the game to Texas. During the riot, his head was struck and cut with a piece of stadium seat. <gasps> he was hit in the face with a folding chair, and his hand was cut by a thrown rock. He later called the fans, quote, uncontrollable beasts, and stated that he'd never seen anything like what had happened, quote, except in a zoo. Oh? He was pissed. He yeah. was so mad. He's a professional doing his job, and this is how people are treating his office. Like, women were coming up trying to fucking kiss him, and he just got, like, rocked by these riots. I'd be so mad, too. Yes. So the rioting continued for 20 minutes. The radio kept reporting live as it was happening, and the hosts mentioned the security guards' inability to handle the crowd. And just so you know, there were, like, 50 security guards yeah. against, like, a thousand-plus drunk, yeah. insane fans. I. And they're also insanely out of shape. This part made me laugh out loud. Sorry. A local sports writer, Dan Coughlin, attempted to interview fans but was punched in the face not once but twice. <laughs> Read the room, my friend. Read, Read the, the room. room. Get out of there. So, okay. The Cleveland police in riot gear finally arrived and restored order, and they arrested nine fans who would be charged with disorderly conduct. Meanwhile, Indians players escorted the Rangers to their team bus. Hargrove said, quote, They drove us to where we stayed, and we were told not to come out of our rooms until noon the next day. I was told the police were stationed in the lobby all night. End quote. Oh my yeah. god! So, you guys! <laughs> So you should be a little bit embarrassed. Like a little embarrassed, yeah. So Cleveland's general manager, Phil Siege, blames the umpire for the loss of control. But others came to the umpire's defense saying, quote, Siege's perspective might have been different had he been in the midst of knife wielding, bottle throwing, chair tossing, fist swinging drunks. End quote. Which is true. Yeah. And, like, I can't imagine being down there in the thick of all of it, like, trying to navigate. Of course he fucking forfeited. And I didn't put this in here, but he literally said, like, he saw knives in the crowd. Like, he, people could have lost their lives. Like, he was fucking scared. Yeah. And so he just, like, ended the game right then and there, which was the right thing to do. So. Yeah, he was making an informed decision. Absolutely. And so American League President Lee McPhail commented, quote, there was no question that beer played a part in the riot, end quote. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for your statement. We appreciate your work and unending support in this. Okay, so to wrap it up, Carl Fazio was a Cleveland Indians director of sales and marketing when this all happened. So he was basically the one that was in charge of the 10 cent beer night. And this is what he had to say about it after the fact. Quote, if you put on the hindsight glasses and kind of dumb it down, you're missing the context in which we are operating. We were on a mission to save baseball in Cleveland. We were bound and determined to do everything we could. The team, special events, promotions, the whole ballpark experience. We did everything possible to make baseball successful in Cleveland. End quote. So this was just the whole, whole method of getting people to show up. And, and they did. So it worked, in theory. So, Jess, in total, Cleveland sold an estimated 60,000 cups of beer to the 25,000 people in attendance that night. 
Thankfully, nobody died or was seriously injured. Surprisingly, that wasn't the last time that they did 10 cent beer night. <laughs> they didn't stop after that. Except in the future, Indians fans received a limited number of beer coupons. So I think it was like three or four beers a person. That was all you could mm-hmm. get during the game. Mm-hmm. Jackie mm-hmm. York, she was um, the Indians promotion director uh, during this time. She said, quote, we revisited it. We tweaked it. We continued with it. I'm proud of that promotion. I'm not proud of what it did. <laughs> you know what? Having yeah. worked in marketing for a long time, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. She's just <laughs> doing the hustle. So nothing like this ever happened again on a 10 cent beer night. This was truly an isolated event. <laughs> Once in a lifetime. Yeah. And this goes to show that it wasn't just the beer that caused the issues. It was a combination of the brawl between the two teams a week before, the press's yes. comments on the brawl, and the comics and other propaganda printed about the team's rivalry. All of that added fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. And so you combine you combine that with 10 cent beer, girl, you got yourself a riot. Yes. Absolutely. Steel chairs be flying. Okay. So I got most of my firsthand accounts from an article I read in Ohio Magazine. They interviewed dozens of witnesses and players and wrote a story about the whole thing. They said that the night after the riot, the Indians and the Rangers had another game. The Indians blasted five home runs, pounding the Rangers 9-3 to in front of 8,000 well-behaved fans. No one they interviewed for their story remembers that game. Of course not. Of course not. Why would they? They only remember the one the night before. Why would they? Ten ten cent beer night. (laughs) A ten cent beer night, bitch. And that is the absolutely unhinged and amazing story of ten cent beer night in Ohio. (sighs) That was a delicious story. Thank you so much. Wasn't it good? Also, just imagine being one of the people that stole one of the bases and you just have it hidden under your bed. I know. I would like pass that down to future generations for the rest of eternity i would open a bar to hang mm-hmm. it in oh like, where else are you gonna display that i'm opening 100%. a bar or an eclectic diner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but get yeah. framed all nice mm-hmm. i mean i can't tell you why i picked that story to do of all stories but it was so fun mm-hmm. i thoroughly enjoyed it i cannot wait to hear how you got there from the other Cleveland story at some point. If I and if I ever do that one, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. If you decide to never do it, I need you to tell me anyway. So, so fun as always. I love, I love these surprise episodes. I feel like it's fun to do those like intermittently, like every like so many episodes. It's fun. It's fun to have yeah. them sprinkled in there. Fun to do a rando. We love mm-hmm. it. Because like there um, are some stories that I want to do that simply don't fit in a category. No. But... Allison, this was a delight. Thank you so much. And I we will be back next week um, with a 3-2-1 shot. And then the week after that is to be determined. Well, Allison, Amazing. Thanks so much. Um, if you aren't already following us on Instagram, please do. And like, rate, and subscribe. And uh, Allison, I will see you next time for another lovely episode of this. So personally, I can't wait. I will see you then. Bye. Hey, bye.